if you've ever been at someone's bedside as they have approached death, you would know what it is to solemnly say your final words to them and to listen, to hear if, if they have any final words to you. We care about final words because they are so carefully chosen. There's only a few words left. In the 16th century, William Tyndale, who gave his life to translate the Bible into English, famously prayed as he was about to be burned at the stake, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. John Newton He wrote Amazing Grace. His final words still ring out today. He he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Of course, Christians and those who aren't even Christians know the final words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished as he was signifying to the world that he had accomplished the great task and work of salvation. And yet Jesus is different in this way. He spoke again after death, not as the dying Savior, but as the resurrected Lord. This morning, we come to Jesus's final words in John's gospel. John chapter 21, 15 through 25. These are Jesus's final words. They are John's final words to us. What was on the mind of the risen Jesus as he ascended or prepared to ascend to the Father? Well, in this gospel, it's two commands. Feed my sheep and follow me. Feed my sheep and follow me. And that's the main point of the sermon this morning. Feed my sheep and follow me. Turn to John 21. We're going to read verses 15 through 25. Actually, I'm going to be, uh, go from 15 to 19 first. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. First point this morning, very plainly, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. When we come to this text, we just left last week, Jesus has fed his disciples. And now he's turning their attention to their work to feed others. And Jesus very specifically turns his own attention to Peter. Peter is obviously the disciple who at Jesus's greatest moment of agony, very publicly denied Jesus. And it's here that John gives to us the account of how Peter was restored to the risen Christ. It's here that we learn about this ministry that Jesus entrusted to Peter. And it's not until after Peter has been fed by Jesus that Jesus begins to ask Peter about his love for him. This is most likely in a private conversation away from the rest. And Jesus is very direct. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And by that, Jesus means more than these other disciples love me. Now, as is always the case with Jesus, he never wastes a question. And remember, it was Peter who not very long before this had so quickly, so immaturely, thoughtlessly asserted in front of his fellow disciples, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Perhaps he wanted to prove his greater love, his greater loyalty than the disciples. And I think Jesus, maybe in an ironic way, maybe in a way of causing Peter to stop, to think before he would answer so quickly, to answer with some wisdom, asks Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? What's amazing to me in this line of questioning is that Jesus never once mentions Peter's denial. He doesn't have to. It's his denial of Jesus that is the clear context for these questions. Peter, who is so confident he would lay his life down for the Lord, denied him when he was asked if he knew the Lord by a servant girl. Peter's answer here, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Uh, There's been some significant debate and back and forth over this text about the fact that these Greek verbs for love differ between agapao and phileo, some saying that this is the distinction between a general love and and a higher love. Maybe that's what you've been taught about this passage, but just know that in John's own gospel, he uses these Greek words interchangeably. He used both of these words in John 3 and John 5 when he was describing the father's love for the son. The same is true for lambs and sheep. They're words that can be used interchangeably. If you want to discern the significance, the meaning, we look at the context. Now, if you were to ask my wife, and I'm going to spoil this for you, about one of my greatest weaknesses, I am completely confident she would tell you he is very impatient when I ask him 
the same question multiple times. Now, she rightly reminds me that I often tell her the same thing multiple times. But one of her greater frustrations with me has been at times I want efficiency in conversation. If it's been asked, if we've addressed that, we don't need to go back to it ever again. And that is a problem, especially when someone wants a conversation about something and you just want to transfer information and be done with it. That's what's happening perhaps here with Peter and Jesus. Jesus asked Peter again and again, do you love me three times? By the third time, Peter is frustrated. There's a grief in his voice that Jesus will not accept his answer. And Peter confesses there in verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I do think it's a confession of Jesus's omniscience, his deity. And yet Jesus knew that Peter needed to feel that grief. Jesus, J.C. Ryle writes, if it was grievous to the disciple to be questioned, how much more to the master to be denied? Jesus meant for Peter to see his weakness. Peter needed to see that Jesus knew him better than Peter knew himself. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And just as it was with Peter, it is with you and me. He knows you. He knows me. He knows your thoughts. He knows that about you. He knows you in ways that you do not want to see yourself And he's going after Peter here. He's going after Peter at his deepest weakness, at the point of his greatest failure, to restore him, to make him useful. Do not try to hide your sin and your weakness from Jesus. He sees the depths of it better than you do. And what's amazing about the risen Jesus is that he's not going after you to exploit you, but to give grace to restore you, to change you. He is doing in Peter here what Peter could never do in himself. And the same is true for you and me. What does he say to Peter in response to his confession each time? Feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, tend to my sheep. So we see that Peter's profession of love for Jesus must be worked out in obedience to Jesus. So with his response, Jesus here is giving Peter the concrete expression in which his love will take shape. Love for God always takes a specific shape. Love for Jesus works itself out in obedience to Jesus. It is always proven or disproven by your life. So for Peter, for the apostles and disciples, for those who would pastor and shepherd after them, Jesus's call is to feed my sheep. Feed them with what is sound, faithful. Feed them with 
sound doctrine, the true gospel, protect them by going after their lives and keeping them within the bounds of Scripture under my good authority. Peter, feed my sheep. Shepherd them, Peter. Do for them what I have done and even right now am doing for you. Jesus had fed them that morning. He had fed them spiritually again and again. He had revealed to them the Father. He had taught them carefully who he was and what it was he had come to do. He had even revealed to them the Father's purposes for the world. Peter, feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, pastors, elders of the church are called to feed Christ sheep. Positively, teaching the whole counsel of God, not being ashamed of it, but proclaiming all of it in season, out of season. That's something you should expect from pastors. Faithfully teach you and to protect you from what is false, whether that's teaching or whether that's false Christians. What else do we glean from this? Notice Jesus says they are my sheep. They're not Peter's. They're not the apostles. They're Christ. Jesus sees his people as his sheep, his lambs. Vulnerable, needing protection. And this is what the great shepherd does for us. He doesn't exploit us. He protects us from wolves, from ourselves. He's gentle with his sheep. His discipline is never divorced from his love. Jesus is with his sheep, not above, with. And all of our sheepiness, that's a word. And he laid down his life. For his sheep. As we've already heard from John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's not one sheep that Jesus, the great shepherd, does not know for whom he has not personally laid his life down and bled Jesus, the great shepherd, cares how his sheep are shepherded. He cares about what his sheep are fed. I think that's a great way for us, you as a church, to pray for pastors of this church, that we would be sobered by this and not take it lightly, that we would never fear men more than we fear the risen Jesus, that by grace we would love Christ's sheep. We would have wisdom with each sheep in a way faithful to the shepherd. Pray this for our church. Don't miss here how high in the mind of the risen Jesus are his sheep. As he's about to ascend to the Father, he is not talking about Roman power or world empires. It's his sheep that are at the front of his mind. And if it's his sheep and our provision, that is his priority, we should ask how high of a priority is it for us that we're fed? 
Now, my guess is that you made it a priority this past week to eat because you know you needed it. Your body felt it when you were hungry. How high of a priority is it for you to humbly place yourself under preaching of God's word? Does it pain you to skip it, to miss it? Uh, Or do you think that this here is more for God to impress him because he needs an audience more than it is for you to be fed? This is some of the risen Jesus's last words before he ascends to the father and they are for your eternal good and my eternal good. You know, if you think about it, for centuries, the church did not possess personal copies of the scriptures. It's an inestimable blessing that we do. He's speaking here of our being fed corporately as sheep and a flock. This is what's in his view. Make this a priority in your life. Steward this feasting on God's word. What else does the fact that Jesus speaks of his people as a a flock of sheep teach us? Well, just that, that we're meant to be together in a flock, in the church, To come to Christ personally is to be joined with his people. Peter knew this deeply. He wrote this in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So notice that Peter equates, he puts together receiving mercy with being God's people. It's a package deal. There's not one foot in and one foot out. To receive his mercy is to be with his people. It's to be joined with his people in such a way where they know you and they know they can count on you and you can count on them. Now, very practically, what's the most practical way you can do that here? Well, you can join with the flock. You can come into the membership of the body. What would you say is holding you back from that? From joining with this specific flock and committing yourself to the rest of the body and allowing the rest of the body to commit itself to you. We're about to go into a new year. Let that thought linger. Will you be better off spiritually in 2024 as a committed member of the church or someone who keeps a distance from it, coming into it just on your own terms. You need us and we need you. Love evidences itself in very concrete expressions. Decades later for Peter, he faithfully committed himself in ministry to Jesus' sheep. And he wrote some of his final words to the elders whom he would have known and loved in 1 Peter 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Can you just see how Jesus's final words to Peter so deeply shaped him? Oh, may the Lord give us pastors that understand this calling because clearly by grace, Peter did. Jesus was turning his attention to his sheep before he turned his attention to his death. There in verse 18, he speaks to him about when he was young, when he used to dress himself, he walked wherever he wanted. But he says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This stretching out his hands and being carried where he doesn't want to go all while someone else has dressed him was a way to refer to crucifixion. Jesus here clearly predicted Peter's death. And John gives the comment, this was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. There's no promise to Peter of prosperity. The promise is your obedience will lead to death that glorifies God. Peter, you will face martyrdom for the glory of God. Think about that fact, that for decades, as Peter served the Lord, feeding his sheep, he carried that promise in his own mind. It was there. He didn't know when. He didn't know circumstances. But he knew it was true. Peter, if you follow me, if you go in the way of your master, it's going to lead to death. Life to Christ's glory by feeding the sheep, death to Christ's glory. It's only the one who died and was raised, the resurrected Lord, who could speak authoritatively about death to the glory of God. Only by Jesus being raised could Peter, could any of us live and die to the glory of God. Jesus, by his resurrection, transformed death. I remember very well a a Bible teacher sharing a story about a prayer meeting at his own local church. And they were praying together for someone who was very sick. And it didn't look good. And many were praying for this person's healing, which is very right. And he said he was struck when one lady prayed, oh Lord, help him to die well. It was so surprising and unexpected, but it was biblical to die in faith to the glory of God. It bears fruit years beyond one person's life. In a former church that I was in, I'll never forget Marlene, who was known and loved by the church. She was a wife and a mother to four boys. She had terminal cancer. 
She was given just a matter of months to live, and she gave a talk on the fact that it is not death for the Christian to die. Marlene would die some months after that talk, but she died to the glory of God. And through her death, her life still speaks. That's what the resurrection meant for Peter. It's what it means for you and me. that We can live and die to the glory of God. And it's only after Jesus tells Peter by what kind of death he will die there in verse 19, very strategically, he says, follow me. Was Jesus now telling Peter to follow him for a walk, for one more conversation, or was he saying, follow me in discipleship? I think yes. John has used double meaning in this gospel again and again, and I think he means us to see it once more. Peter, follow me. Peter, who had so immaturely said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Peter, you're ultimately going to do just that. And by grace, Peter confessed, and he followed Jesus all the way to death. Peter and the Other disciples who would give their lives feeding the sheep so abundantly were fed so abundantly by Jesus. And at the very forefront of the Savior's mind, as he prepares to ascend to the Father, are the sheep. And if we were on his mind then, can't we be sure that we're on his mind now? Each of the risen Lord's sheep, each church, each flock, how close and how bound to Christ are his sheep. Feed my sheep. And secondly, follow me. Follow me. That's how we leave John's gospel. Look at verses 20 through 25. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and it said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So you can picture this scene. Peter is sobered, I imagine, by what Jesus has said to him. He's now walking with Jesus, perplexed in a number of ways. He he turns and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, probably from a bit of a distance, but enough where he can hear John doesn't intentionally identify himself, the one who also had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and 
asked who it was who would betray him. John, at the end of this gospel, wants to ensure that his readers remember what kind of relationship he himself had shared with Jesus. One last time, he is demonstrating his credibility in what he writes. And Peter, after what Jesus has just told him, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about this man? You've commissioned me. What about him? What's going to happen to him? And what's Jesus' reply? Well, if it's my will until he remains, or he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Or in our English, Peter, it's none of your business. Peter had just received a very clear commission from the Lord. He had received revelation that he's going to die in a very specific way. It's sobering, massive revelation. And immediately, John is on his mind. Jesus, what what do you have for John? What are you calling John to? I don't think this is shocking to any of us. You're in a set of circumstances, and instead of praying, oh, Lord, give me grace to be faithful, it's why me, Lord? Why not him? Why did you give that to her? We know this from the youngest age. I can't fathom there is one family here whose kids are always commending their parents for how we treat each of them so fairly and equitably. You know, the kids are just amazed that we always get it right. Kids, do you ever think that your brother or sister is the favorite? Don't say anything. Now, if you think you are the favorite child, don't say anything about that either. We know from the very youngest age what it feels like to say, that's not fair. What about him? Jesus is warning Peter here. Peter, that's not for you to know. It's not for you to be concerned with how I'm going to use John. You follow me. The call for Peter, the call for each of us very personally is to follow Jesus. And that call in and of itself alone is unspeakable grace. You know, Peter was not owed this conversation from Jesus. It was not Jesus who needed Peter. It was Peter who desperately needed the risen Lord. And he's restoring Peter. And he is promising he's going to graciously use Peter. And how quickly Peter wants to know about someone else. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you think that Jesus owes you that, if you begin to turn the relationship that is completely based on grace alone into something else, it it becomes something based on wages, based on what you've earned, based on what you think you deserve. Life in Christ is all grace. It's all mercy. Uh, Whatever it is he's ordered for your life, the path he's ordered for your life. It's all grace. It's all mercy. Hear him say, follow me. So I would wonder if you struggle with whether God has gotten it wrong with you, whether he's going to get it wrong. Well, think about who God is as the God who is holy and everlasting, who needs nothing, who has graciously given his son and his son who has willingly come 
and the salvation he's lavished upon you, how could this God now, if he's done the greater, get it wrong with you in the lesser? Whatever that is in your mind that you wrestle with, identify that. Whatever it is that you say, that's evidence that God doesn't know what he's doing. Your circumstances, your job, sickness, maybe it's even a desire for good things that you don't have. Whatever it is, look at that in view of what God has undeservedly done for you and me in Jesus Christ. And if he's done that, he will withhold nothing good from you. Whatever it is that perplexes you, whatever it is that worries you or makes you bitter, your Savior is working in that for your eternal glory. Now, what if you're not following Jesus? What if this is foreign to you? I would ask you who you are following or what you're following. And don't dismiss that question. I mean, even the great theologian, Bob Dylan, who was an American rock star, said this, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. So when Jesus calls Peter, when he calls any of us to follow him, he's calling us away from whatever we're following. In this gospel, the crowds have been interested, but they've ultimately turned away from Jesus when the call to follow him proved too much. What about you? What do you, what do you follow? Your sense of confidence in your own abilities or maybe it's respectability, maybe it's ease, maybe it's a belief that denies who Jesus is as the crucified and resurrected Jesus. But as the resurrected Christ, Jesus is the Lord who has the right to call you and me to follow him. And that call is a good call because it's a call into freedom into life. By nature, you and I have rebelled against the God who has made us. We have gone our own way like lost sheep. But Christ, who is the good shepherd, has come into this world to live, fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law and to die and pay the righteous penalty that should have been put upon us. And he's been raised from the dead. The great shepherd has laid his life down for the sheep and he has accomplished salvation, which means he can wonderfully call you to follow him. To do that, you must turn away from whoever or whatever you're following that's at odds with him and entrust yourself to him. Believe him. And in doing so, you can find life in his name. Brothers and sisters, as the Lord, the risen Jesus has the right to call each of his disciples to different paths and tasks. He really does know best how to use each of his sheep. I think one of the hardest realities of life in a fallen world, even for a Christian, is we, we can't always make sense of our situation. Why did he do this in my life? So we see our small picture We don't see how our small picture relates to the bigger picture of of God's work. But our Father does. Our triune God who has ordered everything from the end to the beginning, He does everything well. He works in every detail of your life. Remember, as you follow Jesus, it is the risen Christ 
you follow. And the one who calls you to follow him still, even now, has the scars visible in his hands. His love is visibly seen. You really can't make sense of why. You won't always be able to. Keep staring at the cross. Trust that the God whose son has gone to the cross knows how to wisely order your life. And whatever doesn't make sense to you now will make sense then. You know, that's how we protect ourselves from envy and comparison. Envy is the belief that you are owed what they enjoy. It's the desire for it. It's rooted in unbelief. It's discontentment with gifts that God has given you undeservedly. It is to deny that you are being treated better than you deserve. And that's always the reality for us in Jesus Christ. When you start looking at what they've been given or what they have, or ways the Lord is using them or ordered their circumstances, don't leave that unchecked. That can take over your soul. Do the work in your own heart to examine what you think you are owed from God. Examine what you believe about God at every point. And where you know that is wrong, confess that to God and ask him for grace. Jealousy, envy always reveals unbelief in your heart. So to fight it, stare at the cross. Stay there. You'll find power to be grateful for what the Lord has given you. There's power to defeat thoughts that you're owed more than you're given. You can see that at the cross, this God is not unfair, but full of mercy. Brothers and sisters, the one who died for you, the one who called you, He knows how to use you. Christ does not waste the life of any of his blood-bought sheep. So by grace, stop looking around. Stop comparing. Look at Christ and find contentment that you know is not of you. Follow me. It's as he calls us to follow him in different ways that he fulfills his unified purpose For the world. He knows best how to lead us all to the same destination to be with him where he is. Jesus didn't explain all the details of his plan to Peter as the crucified Lord. He simply said, Follow me. As you follow him with your eyes fixed on him, you will see he is enough and he is good. Peter and John followed the same Lord with very different tasks. Peter knew the kind of death he would die, not John. John lived a longer life. He too fed Christ's sheep. He does this in this gospel where he recounts the words and the works of Jesus. And he clarifies there in verse 23, there was some kind of rumor that spread that Jesus said he would not die, but that's not what Jesus said. So in these very final words from John, he means to correct what had wrongly been circulated, but also to ensure that the church did not elevate him to a status that was never warranted from Jesus. In different ways, Peter and John were both simply servants, disciples of the Lord. 
Now, as he wrote this account, he was inevitably closer to his own death and aware that unless the Lord returned, his life would soon be over. He's so careful with his final words. He wants you convinced of his credibility. Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. You, you can just feel how John doesn't want you just to find this interesting. He wants you to take him at his word. He wants you to believe. Hasn't it struck you as we've worked through this gospel for some time, its credibility and its carefulness? What will the impact of this book be on your life? I mean, what a book this is from beginning to end. Uh, This book soars in giving us revelation about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Son who performed signs, who was witnessed to in the world. His life and his teaching, even as he went to the cross, as he approached the final hour when he would pour out his life unto death for sin and sinners. I mean, just consider the eternal impact that this book, written by this beloved disciple, has had now for centuries how the risen Jesus by the work and the power of the Spirit has used it all over the world. And now, in our midst, we should leave a book like this with eternal gratitude that the risen Christ had us in mind for his eternal purposes in this book. We should leave this book confident that Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do everything he said he will do. And we should leave this book realizing there's even more. Why? Look at the very end. Verse 25, John's last words. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John only has captured some enough, but only some of the works and words of Jesus that he did. But John says that the world could not contain the books. No doubt, as John followed Jesus, Jesus grew bigger and bigger to John. But the world could not contain the books that would be written because who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished is cosmic in its scope. The universe itself which we know from this book was created through him and for him. His work to accomplish salvation is infinite in its scope. Jesus, the God, man, in whom the infinite has joined with the finite, has accomplished something of such magnitude that this temporal, finite world could never exhaust its depths, would never reach the end of its glory very one who calls you and me to follow him is in his very nature such that eternity will never contain the fullness of his glory. And in all of his power and glory as the risen Lord, it's his sheep, our provision that was on his mind and on his lips and some of his final words before he would go back into heaven as the son of God 
in power. So as we leave John, will you follow Jesus? The call to follow him, wherever it leads, will lead you to share in his suffering and glory and to resurrected life forever.